0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So this morning I have the pleasure of introducing Pastor Kristen Brown, who will be giving our sermon. Kristen was pastor in Kansas City before moving to Rochester last summer. She's executive director of administration and assistant professor of church and mission at Northeastern Seminary. And in her spare time, she's also a PhD student studying theological education and mission studies. Please help me in welcoming Kristen. is really funny when you think about it, because it's like, you feel like you should say, oh, the Bible and Jesus. And those are definitely the right answers, but um, the real answer is we're going to have a little conversation about Mr. Rogers and what he has to teach us about life in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Has anybody seen the new Mr. Rogers film that's out there? If you have not seen it, get yourself to the little. It is playing. I think it's still playing. If not, it should be. Um, but it is a great picture that I want to talk about a little bit today as we think about We're going to look at the passage in Mark, and we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians, but I want us to think together about what life in the kingdom of God really looks like, and I actually think that Mr. Rogers has something deep and important to teach us about that. So before we get started, I am going to pray for us. God, we are grateful to be here together this morning. We are grateful to be your beloved children. Um, We are grateful to be reminded that uh, you are making all things new, and uh, it is well with our souls because we are with you. Um, We pray for this morning that uh, we would be reminded of the kind of people you've called us to be, that we would catch a vision for what it is that you're up to in the world and how we participate in that, and uh, that, that in this time, you would be active and present, and your spirit would be at work in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, I moved here to Rochester last summer, as has been mentioned, and I moved into a great little neighborhood. I live in the North Winton Village neighborhood of the city, which I love. It's a wonderful place to be. Um, and it's hard when you move to a new city, you actually don't know very much about where you ought to be living. So you rely on friends and people and my realtor. And she's asking me, what is it that, you know, you're really looking for? And I said, my one not negotiable is that I have to have a garage that I can park my car in because I'm scared of the snow in the winter. (laughs) I've heard stories of the amount of snow, and that makes me very nervous. But other than that, I want a neighborhood that I can walk down the street in where people sit on their front porches, where there are local restaurants that I can frequent, And I feel like I got that in my neighborhood. I enjoy living there a lot. And then I went and I saw this film about Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And I thought, boy, I don't live in that neighborhood quite. As much as I love my neighborhood, there is a neighborhood, a picture of a community that Mr. Rogers is trying to tell us about. And the funny thing about it, as I was reflecting on it later, so I'm watching this documentary about a children's television show with puppets and, like, no special effects and, you know, a little trolley that goes in and out of a land called make-believe. So we know it's not real. And yet there's this deep sense, I think, in the theater, as I was walking out past people who, like, with tears streaming down their faces, that we want to actually live in the land of make-believe. We want that to be our neighborhood. And what Mr. Rogers was doing in this children's television show was the very basic thing of saying human beings matter. People matter. Children matter. Children are special. Children ought to grow up in a place where they are loved and know that they are needed and are welcomed and that everybody should be in that neighborhood, that there's room for everyone in this neighborhood. So he invites everyone to be his neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. And this perpetual reminder that there is a space where we can be loved, where we are needed, where we are can be who we are, And that we are, uh, it's a space that we are made to be. I think it's 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 a film I'm glad I saw in the theater. I'm glad I saw it with a community of people who you can see the physical reactions deep inside us that we actually are longing for this neighborhood. And we walked out of the theater all knowing that we don't live in that neighborhood, that there are very, very loud voices that tell us very different things. So our question is, what does this land of make-believe have for us this morning? And I'm going to say that I think that Mr. Rogers was on to something, which he was a Presbyterian minister, so it's not that surprising that he was on to something. And the thing I learned in this film is that the Presbyterian church considered him a television evangelist. <laughs> right? <laughs> if our television evangelist could be Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Boy, what a difference the world could, that could make. But I want to say that I think he was right, that he was on the right track, and that the land of make-believe not only could be real but is real, that we are invited to live in this land, that it's been created for us and we are invited into it. So that's the, that's the claim of the morning, and I want to look at a couple of texts that talk us Talk to us about that claim. We're going to start in Mark chapter 6. And there's actually four texts in the lectionary, and you could actually read. I I highly recommend you read all of them. All of them actually would tell us this story. We're going to look at just the New Testament ones this morning, Mark 6 and Ephesians 2. And I'm going to start with us in Mark 6 on page 818 in the Red Bible in front of you. I'm not reading from the Red Bible, you'll notice. I'm not reading from the same version as the Red Bible, so it's probably going to sound a little different. Um, but this is where all my notes are, so I'm going to read from this one. Starting in verse 30 of chapter of Mark chapter six, we hear this: The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. They have been out and about, so Jesus has been teaching them a lot of things. And then he just he sent them out on their own to see like how much of this is really sticking in their world. And they are just coming back, and. Uh, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And then we heard this morning in the children's moment what happened, like they're mobbed and they can't actually get away. Uh, So they went away by themselves to a quiet place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began teaching them many things. And then we pick it up again in verse 53. So in, in the meantime, uh, he teaches them many things and he, they're there for a long time and they're getting hungry. And so he gets bread and fish from this kid's lunch and he breaks it and he gives it to them and feeds the entire multitude of people. And then they try to get away again. And Again, people follow them, and we pick it up in verse 53. It says, When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So the amazing thing to me about this passage, which should not be amazing, but is amazing, is that people, could, people were flocking to Jesus. I don't actually see that happening as much right now as I kind of wish. And I think it's because we sometimes don't meet Jesus and who Jesus actually is and was. Uh, we meet some representations that aren't maybe as close to the way of Jesus but in, in the story of Jesus that we're told in the Gospels over and over and over again, people couldn't get enough of Jesus. They, they couldn't get enough of what he was telling them about the way life ought to be. And the thing about the stories in the Gospels is that all the people who were flocking to Jesus were people that had been told bad news over and over and over again. And in Jesus, they found that good news was good for them. It wasn't just good for everyone else, it was good for them. So it's people like women who had no place in society are flocking to Jesus. People who are sick. And in, in this time, sickness was not just a physical ailment, it became a social ailment. And you were ostracized from your community. And in Jesus, they're finding healing and community again. And he's not afraid of them. And he's not afraid to go and be with people and to touch them and to eat with all kinds of the wrong people. He's, Jesus in his person is resetting the world. He's trying to tell us that the world is different than what the loudest voices have been saying. And people can't get enough of this. I think... Um, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, the neighborhood he's creating is tapping into something of this, of this kind of vision of a different reality that Jesus is talking about. Where people are well fed and where the poor are blessed and those who mourn are blessed where they find comfort. And, you know, the only people that weren't big fans that weren't flocking to Jesus were people that had a lot of power. <laughs> Were the religious elite? Were uh, people for whom the rules really actually were working for them? They were happy with the way things were? They, they weren't clamoring for time with Jesus? Um, and, and as we see the story moving forward, uh, they, they get to the point where they've had enough of him, and they decide that he can't be tolerated anymore. He's too subversive. He's changing too much. He's giving people too much hope. And so they do what they believe reality tells them to do. Their world says death will end this. And so they put Jesus to death. He dies a criminal's death. And that's the ironic twist in the story that we might be aware of. That actually in their world, death was the end of things, but Jesus lived the alternate reality where death was not the end of things. And in The resurrection of Jesus, the new world, is coming into being. And he is the first fruits of all that he had promised. He is the hope of a new world. And they had no category for that because their reality says, this should have been the end of this. And it wasn't. And that's the rest of the story of the New Testament. Is how does that reality come into being in the world? What does it really mean for us if we're going to live out the new life of the kingdom of God that comes in the person of Jesus and in Jesus' resurrection? What does it mean to challenge and and to live the alternate reality of God's kingdom? So that's the the second passage we're going to look at today, is where Paul is trying to explain this to a church. And so most of the letters in the New Testament are written to probably churches not that dissimilar from ours that are placed in a very specific time and context and have their own issues that they're working through. And in this church in Ephesians, they were having some struggles in recognizing the reality of God's kingdom as good news for everyone. They were so used to living a particular religious way, right? Right? And it was they were all for everyone getting on board with their way of life. And they had no category that maybe what Jesus was doing was a new thing. And Paul is writing to them to let them know that these people who they've been keeping on the outside of their community have been welcomed in by Jesus and need to be welcomed in to this community. That God is actually just doing a brand new thing. So, what Paul often does is help churches to get on board with the new thing that God is doing. And this is how he does it for this church in the book of Ephesians. And I'll just I'll read it to us in its entirety and make a few comments, maybe. And then we'll talk about what this church in Ephesians might say to our church here today. So, we'll start, it's Ephesians 2 on page 590, says the screen. Um, Ephesians 2, I'll start in verse 11 and we'll read through verse 22. So he says, Therefore, remember, he's talking to the Gentiles here, those who have been sort of kept on the outskirts of this community that Jesus is forming. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which then he clarifies and says, which is done in the body by human hands. This is a human thing, this is a human convention. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not by what anyone else is telling you, but it's what Jesus does that brings you near. You don't have to worry about that. You're with Jesus. And then he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, all the things that were being used against these people to keep them out of the community. Paul says, no, Christ is your reason for being in this community. He's setting these things aside. His purpose is to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And verse 17, I think, is the key to the passage. He says, Christ came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. If there is a universal message of Jesus, it is peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. We all hear the same message. is the message of peace to you. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. that the life we have been invited invited into is a life of peace in Christ. And when Scripture uses the word peace, it's, it's the Hebrew word shalom. And it is more than just, you know, we're not in conflict with one another anymore. It's we live in a space of human flourishing where every person has all they need to be a flourishing human being that we, we are the people we were created to be and we are in a place where we get to be those people. Right? And that's actually, it's not that different from what Mr. Rogers was saying about his neighborhood and inviting everyone to come in and be a part as the neighbor that they are, not having to be different than they are, but coming in as they are. And, and Paul tells us that it's in Christ that this is possible. Because we gather around Jesus and what God is up to in the world in Jesus. That that's our baseline. And we come in together and Christ becomes our peace. So what do Mr. Rogers and Jesus in Mark and Paul in Ephesians have for us today as a church community as we think about what it means to live the peace of Christ in the world. And I guess one of the things, the first, um, the first thing I thought of was that I think in the world we live in today, it has never been more necessary to be the peace of Christ to the world. There's very, very, very loud voices <laughs> that are very, very, very divisive voices. And it's not one kind of divisiveness, right? Um, so, so I would say political divisiveness is a big one right now. And there's a lot of Twitter screaming about things. Uh, and and ethnic and cultural divisiveness is happening. And we're, we're watching just horrible things. And gender divisiveness is happening. So I, I don't know what... what you feel in terms of uh, the divides that you feel like you live in. And I would say into all of them, Christ speaks a word of peace. And that the church is to be the community of peace, to speak that word of peace into the world. That's the end of the passage in Ephesians, where it says you are being joined together into a temple, Uh, the temple imagery from the Old Testament, is this is the place where God lived among God's people. And for us to be this manifestation of what God is up to in the world is what Paul's pointing to, that we get to be the, the space in the world that points to what God is doing. That that's the intention of that. So in a world where that's not necessarily always happening, and where the name of Jesus is invoked potentially sometimes not in ways that proclaim peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. Um, what, what could that say to us? So I just, I have two things that I think uh, are a challenge and reminder. Um, and the first one is this, it, from, from Mr. Rogers, one of the things I learned is the power of the small things, right? He spent decades doing 30 minutes of television to remind children of things that are just true, to remind all of us that we are loved, that we are cared for, that we are needed, that we are welcome. And he would do, he would do small things that would respond to cultural moments. So in the 1970s, in the summers, when there was this... Um, a sort of outbreak of people who were concerned about black children using their swimming pools, and they would pour bleach into swimming pools to keep black children out of their swimming pools. That week, Mr. Rogers does an episode where he invites the police officer, this black man, to come and to cool his feet in his pool in the front yard and to tell a different story to these children who are seeing what the world is like, the violence of the world, Mr. Rogers is going to tell a different story. For five minutes, they might get the vision that there could be a different world. It's the little things of welcoming our neighbors, of learning and growing together, of being okay, not being okay. That was one of the other things that Mr. Rogers was all about that um, I think was and still is countercultural, to say it's okay that we're not okay, that it's okay to be sad, that we can have feelings that we live in the world, right? That that's a very human thing to be, that silence should be a part of our regular lives, that slowness is okay. Um, when he gave his acceptance speech for his Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys, you know how those speeches go. They're like chock full. You just pack Pack mountain you say all the things that you can possibly say because you, it's your, you know, one moment in the spotlight. And he actually stands up and says, okay, for 10 seconds, I'm going to time it. I just want us all to quietly think about the people who have loved us to being the people that we are, who've loved us into loving. And he stands there for 10 seconds in quietness. And you look, you know, it's panning around the room and tears in people's eyes. Because how often does that happen in our worlds where we're reminded that we were loved so we can love? He did these small things for decades. I personally am a fast change person. I like things to get fixed right away. Um, and, and the patience of uh, the persistence of resistance that he demonstrated, I think is something for me to learn from. What would it look like to continually live kindness? To continually live gentleness? To love one another? To, to help people understand that they are loved and needed and welcomed? So my first Sunday here was a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, actually. And on my very first Sunday, I met Laura Reed. <laughs> we, I was sitting randomly, and she came up and sat next to me. And um, afterwards, she said, what are you doing? A bunch of us are going to brunch. Do you want to go? On my very first Sunday, and I said, sure, why not? And so we went and got brunch with some other people, and I met some people, actually, that I was going to end up working with, and I hadn't ever met them before. And it's a reminder that the small things actually make a big difference. Asking somebody to go get coffee says, I I see you. You're here with me, physically present. You're welcome. Those things matter. And in the world that we live in today, I think they matter more and more. So walking down our streets and saying hi to the people that live, that are sitting on their front porches, because, you know, we get the summer, right, to be out and about, so we might as well use it our advantage. (laughs) I'm not sure what we do in the winter, but in the summer we can definitely do that. In the winter maybe we need to have people over for soup, (laughs) something like that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is actually what we have done here this morning and what we will continue to do here this morning. Every week we gather together and we practice. We have these practices that sustain our imagination for a different way of life. So, we do some actually odd things when you think about it. We, as a gathered community, we live out the countercultural reality in some very specific ways. And things like we, you know, we sing. <laughs> we stand and we sing together, and they're songs that remind us of what God is up to in the world. And the melodies maybe will be running through your head this week, as they do with mine. You know, and this is where the, um, the, the spiritual tradition comes in. We have a lot of songs that were, that sustained a community of people who were enslaved, that reminded them that the narrative that they were being told was not true, and that they could live a countercultural reality, that, that they didn't have to believe what was being told to them. Songs have this power to resist the narratives. So we do that. We gather every week and we sing these songs about a different kind of way of life. And we do things like we we pass peace to one another. Every week we say the peace of Christ to you. And in that we're saying, may the blessing of God be with you. May you live a flourishing life. May I contribute to that. And we receive that back, that blessing back from each other. And we are reminded that we were made to live in the peace of Christ and to live as the peace of Christ in the world. We, we confess our shared belief. We say, in this room together, we have so many things not in common. We're so different. And yet, with people throughout time and around the world, we hold these things together and they shape our imagination of what life can be like. And we we didn't do it this morning, but we do it a lot of mornings. We confess our sins. <laughs> we actually recognize that we are the ones who do the wrong. If only, <laughs> if only the, the world could be a place where we started to pick up more mirrors and look at where we have gone wrong and, and you know, do a little bit less in terms of uh, casting blame and really looking for how can we be contributing to the good of the world. So we do that. We practice that here. We confess our sins. And then finally, and we will do that this morning, we join together at a table every week. And uh, the table is an interesting um, place for us, right? So Jesus gave us this. And it was uh, common in that time, who you ate with really, really mattered. And it still is today, it's not quite as stark as it was then, but you could eat with all the wrong people. And I mean, it would, you were tainted by who you ate with. So I find it very poignant that when Jesus left a a practice for his disciples, it was a practice of eating, to remind us that who we eat at this table with is who we are at peace with in Christ because it's what Christ has done. That's why it's not our table, it's Christ's table, and we just get invited to come to it. And because I have gotten invited as the wrong kind of person to somebody, I'm sure, I have to live an invitational life. I have been welcomed to welcome others. So we actually are going to do that this morning as we always do. With the reminder that in this table, we remember Christ's peace. And that we have been invited to partake of the peace of Christ. Not to make it, but to live fully into it. And to create spaces of peace for others. So I invite you to this table uh, in a minute, we'll come down the center aisle. And we, how we do it here is we take the bread and we dip it in the cup. You don't have to be a, a member here at Artisan. Um, at least they tell me that. I'm not a member, and I take it every week. So I believe it's true. Uh, we, you take both of them together. But I want to just remind us about this table and about the story that brought us this table. So on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, He took bread, he gathered his friends in a room, and his enemies, actually, in a room, and he broke bread, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And when he said you, he meant everyone in that room. He meant the person who would betray him later that evening. And then he he took the cup and he passed it, and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's no one who is not invited to this table. Anyone who wants to meet Jesus and the peace of Christ is invited to come and meet him here at this table. As often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim our Lord's death and the peace that he brings us. So I invite you to come as you will and to partake Of this, which is the good news of Jesus to us. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.